This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Welcome to the Counter Narrative Podcast, a show designed to change the way we talk and think about education. By sharing stories of successes and triumphs, we aim to challenge the dominant narrative that often negatively portrays our disenfranchised populations. I'm your host, Charles Williams, an urban educator for more than 15 years, a current school principal in Chicago, an educational consultant, an equity advocate, and the co-host of Inside the Principal's Office. Let's get started. Hey listeners, before we jump into the episode, I wanted to share something with you. On January 6th, it's a Saturday, at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time, I am going to be hosting a webinar for all speakers who want to up their games. In this session, we're going to dive into the rhetorical triangle so we can figure out how to elevate your speaking prowess so you can build a trustworthy persona, connect emotionally, and present logical arguments that resonate with your listeners. But we're also going to learn how to weave compelling narratives through factual content by exploring various story models. Through this, you're going to be able to persuade, teach, and inspire while also retaining the core concepts and messages of your speech. Whether you're addressing the conference room, pitching to clients, or even inspiring a team, the skills you're going to learn during this webinar will help you become a more confident and persuasive speaker. I don't want you just to leave your audience listening, but I want them to be engaged and moved by your words. And as a listener to this podcast, using the keyword counter, C-O-U-N-T-E-R, you'll save an extra 10%. But hurry, there are some early bird pricing going on now, and ticket prices will increase as the time goes on. I can't wait to see you there. Now, let's jump into the episode. Hello and welcome back to the Counter Narrative Podcast. I'm really excited uh, for this guest. In fact, I was just down in Wichita and having a conversation with individuals trying to figure out who I can get on my show. And I was like, wait a minute, there's a person here who I have known for far too long to not have been on the show yet. And I know it's come up in conversation. I know she and I have had some amazing conversations and she does some pretty awesome work. So I was like, uh, yeah, I need to get you on. And part of me felt a little guilty. I was like, I got to get you on before any of those others jump on because that would just be wrong. So today I not only have an amazing educator doing, you know, this very valuable work uh, down in the Kansas area, but a good friend, a colleague. Good after, Good evening, Tracy. How are you? How are you? How are you doing? I am so good. Thank you so much for having me. You're right. I would have been just a hint salty if others got on before me. Just a little bit. And you would have been well within your rights. In fact, I was kind of like, I remember like having that conversation and I saw you kind of give me the little side eye and I was like, oh yeah, Charles, like don't, don't book anybody else. Like (laughs) I I felt really guilty. So, and you're not here as a guilt trip. I truly truly want you on the show because I believe this is going to be an amazing conversation. 
It will be. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So for the listeners who who may not know who you are, tell us a little bit about who you are. What did, what do you do? What was that journey like? How did you end up in the field of education? And I know we were chatting about it. So if you can find something interesting, <laughs> go ahead and drop that too. The world's most okayest person giving something interesting. Well, I am Tracy Chauvin. I'm actually um, a non-traditional educational leader in that I am not a teacher. I'm actually in the field of public education as a clinical social worker. So I originally, maybe this is a fun fact, I originally thought that I would be a teacher, went to school to become a teacher and didn't work out didn't work out. They were like, Hey, go to these practicums. And I was like, not for me. So they're like, try special education. Ooh. Okay. And they're like, you have a really like voice for advocacy and a passion for students. I'm like, I do, but this still isn't it. Like, what are we going to do? So they had me, my college university had me do a diversity and education practicum at um, Kansas city, Kansas public schools at Harmon high school in their counseling department. And I was like, Oh, this is it. This is it. I am intended to use my voice for this, for advocating for students and families and being a support person for them through public ed, but in the lens of a therapeutic role. And so I immediately said, hey, this education thing, I don't know that I'm going to finish this this degree. And instead, I got a degree, an undergraduate degree in psychology with a focus on special education and cultural diversity to respect the fact that I had put like three years into an education Mm -hmm. degree. Um, And then immediately got my master's in social work. And that was the best move for me because I was able to then do, again, it all comes full circle. I was able to do a practicum in Kansas City, Kansas Public Schools at Wyandotte High School for an entire year and then got hired by them as a special education social worker. Spent some time being a special education social worker and moved to a different district that really um, nourished me and fed me as a leader. Allowed me the opportunity to um, get my principal's license. And then I moved back full circle moment again to Kansas City, Kansas Public Schools. I currently serve as their director of student support programs. And that is that perfect blend for me of social work, advocacy, caring, therapeutic lens, as well as that systems level leadership where you're advocating and really engendering change through that position. And so it's really full circle and all of that. And so maybe that's my interesting fact. Um, I also own True Resilience Consulting, and maybe this could be my interesting fact. I don't know. I don't know. I'm digging for one. I'm digging. See, now, now you're like, man, I do have all these interesting facts. <laughs> yeah, I own True Resilience Consulting, where I work with school districts and organizations to do inside-out transformation, to really look and examine at all their policies and, that inform our practices to ensure that they have a wellness component to them, that trauma-informed component. And I chose True Resilience Consulting because I truly believe, and that's a foundation for me, of resilience being within everyone and everything. But TRC are also my initials. And I believe that the universe works in mysterious ways and everything's connected. And so I looked for something with deep meaning in both ways. So... Well, that is an interesting thought. That was even something I didn't know. I was like, oh, look at that. That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. And for those of you not sure, I know that, you know, Tracy has been saying Kansas City, Kansas. And you might be like, of course, like there's Kansas City, Missouri. And those are two (laughs) different spaces. And I know because I messed that up when when I was down there. So um, just just to clarify, it's Kansas City, Kansas. State line's a real thing. That border war. Yeah. I, so remember when I when I 
came down, you know, you, so Tracy's been instrumental in some of the work that I've been able to do uh, with Kansas City, Kansas. And I was at one of the sessions and completely like just put Kansas City public schools and they were like, excuse me. And I thought I was about to be walked out before I even started. So um, I just I, I, I don't want anybody else to make that mistake. <laughs> so, Tracy, talk to me a little bit about what obviously you do this work, right? You, mm-hmm. It's about finding your voice of doing this advocacy work, mm-hmm. you know, from a different angle, which I think is valuable as we, as we attack these situations, these issues from a variety of, from a variety of angles. Mm-hmm. So as we're talking about countering the narrative tonight, what is it that mm-hmm. you want to talk about? What, what topic do you want to discuss? I think for me, the topic would be that lens of educational equity I work in a system that truly believes that education is equity. We are a very, very, very diverse community. And 100%, there is a belief from the top down, from our school board, to all of our teachers, to everyone that is supporting and serving our youth, that education expands freedoms that can provide a ladder out of poverty. Um, It can provide that leverage and that lever to defend their own personal rights um, and have a positive impact on their community. So I think that actually is the lens through which I'd love to have a discussion with you today. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's dive in. I mean, it's, it's interesting that you're bringing this up because I think equity is one of those buzzwords, right? I I think it's, it's used all over the place. Everybody wants to talk about it. It's a hot topic. And you're right. I think there are spaces that say, hey, we understand it. We value it. We appreciate it. We we understand the impact that it will have on our students Mm -hmm. and their families, especially right as a gateway out of the the circles and cycles of poverty that so many of them experience. And yet we're continuing to have this conversation. We do continue to have that conversation. and, And so I guess that's what I want to talk about is like, even though so many people talk about it, Mm-hmm. In your lens, do you think it's, is it going beyond that? Or do you think it's truly valued as people are saying, or like, why do we continue to have some of the same conversations over and over? Because it's not, it's not a new topic. That's so interesting. Cause I think that one of the root causes is, um, systems of oppression. And we consistently have to talk about educational equity because of that really core, one of those core foundations of which public education is built off of. And that is a, that our system is built to be an oppressive system in a lot of ways. And so when we think of educational equity, we think of people receiving what they need to develop to their full potential. And so when we think of communities similar to the one I serve and support, we often think what they need is access to college and career readiness. But are we really giving them access to what they need to succeed and the skills they need for life beyond school or are we continuing a narrative from like the 1970s where we say a certificate, like a vocational certificate, a VOTEC certificate, is is that truly equity then? So I think that it's because we have systems that aren't set up for equity yet. Hmm. You know, it, it's interesting that you, you bring this up. So recently, I, I one of my, my reflective pieces on the show I was having a conversation with one of my teachers and we were talking about some of the initiatives in education Mm -hmm. and whether or not they are truly equitable in the guise that sometimes we, I'm curious if something is put out there to say, Hey, let's do this because it will, it will help students. Right. And in this case, we were talking about 
the fun, the hoopla, the pomp and circumstance in the classroom, because how many times have we told our teachers or, you know, you know, administrators have said this, well, your, your classroom needs to be more engaging. Right. And then, yes, but then we ask ourselves, and in fact, we, we did this deep dive as we were exploring this. So much energy goes into the vessel, the medium, right? The content of the lesson. But students have no clue what it is they're learning and the, the skills, the, the standards, and they have no idea why or how to apply it beyond this activity. In fact, more often than not, students come out to say, hey, I know how to build an awesome PowerPoint, right? And it's like, well, that no, that was the vessel, right? And so, you know, I do question I'm because curious. I remember... Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I'm curious and wondering if that goes back to educational rigor, where when we think about that, like we think of it as just providing this high caliber curriculum. Mm. But when we think about it, we also have to, as part of that rigor, you're supported so that you can learn at that high level. Not just is it this engaging, but do I give you the scaffolded and differentiated supports and resources you need to be able to demonstrate that learning, to be able to name what it is I'm learning and how I can use it. So I'm wondering as we're as we're talking about this then, right? That this idea of these equitable spaces, mm-hmm. like, why do you think? I, I guess I know we we've talked a little bit about the these ideas, these systems, you know, these built-in systems of oppression that designed to kind of keep right perpetuate mm-hmm. these these issues. What if anything do you think can can we do? Can we push back? Can we begin changing? Like, or is it? This is just how it's going to be. I That's a great question. I think there's a lot of nuance to that question um, because we can't always push back. Oppressive systems are built uh, through laws uh, and our regulations and your state. Honestly, that's where it starts is that legislative body that mandates what and how we learn things. So in the state of Kansas, um, they have come out with more and more about like what and how we can learn and even test for social emotional learning and things like that. And So we have to have a unified voice as like public education and really ensure that we're all advocating for things that isn't because I'm advocating that aren't one off. Like I'm advocating for this because you're the largest urban district in Kansas or the second one. But then 85 percent of Kansas is rural. We need to make sure that we're all finding the commonalities between us to be able to advocate at that large level, because one of the things that like I talk with businesses about or other districts um, when I consult with them is, are your policies mandating these oppressive practices? Mm. And so really getting to, again, that root cause of it, we have to advocate for different policies that truly encompass everyone. Easier said than done. I get that. The other pieces we have to, at our district level or our building level, take the policies we have and critically analyze them and say, where is it and how is it that I can find the equity within this policy if it is an oppressive policy that we then have to put into practice? And so a lot of it truly is just using those critical thinking skills and using a lot of professional judgment and having the conversations And I think that that's the biggest piece of it is having the continued conversation, because if we're not talking about it, we can't change it. So, Tristan, can you give me an example? I know we've talked a little bit about policies, right? This this idea that policies exist, 
And right, we know that systems do what systems are designed to do. And so there are these policies in place that drive these systems. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's the policy itself that's an issue. And so can you give me an example, and not necessarily just in Kansas, but maybe something that you've seen, a policy that is in itself inherently inequitable, which is driving these these issues that we see within our schools? So one that immediately comes to mind is a house bill, and it is in Kansas, but it is one that I know other states have very similar of, but ours is House Bill 2567, that um, it's a Frankenstein bill, meaning that they pulled multiple things together that hadn't gone through and gotten passed and said, well, we want parts of this one and this one and this one, and we're going to put it together to get one passed. And they did that. And so now we have to, for every survey that we do that's considered a non-academic survey that talks about perception. So like, do I perceive um, my friends might be doing risky behaviors, things like that. And essentially it's social emotional learning. It's our universal screeners for SEL that help us provide the much, much, much needed services in an equitable way to our students that aren't having those large, really extroverted behaviors that get the immediate attention of our staff. These are those students that might fall between the cracks, that might hurt themselves. Um, And we are not able to fully identify them because House Bill 2567 is an oppressive policy. We have to post every survey in as many languages as possible on our website, every question of it. We have to get permission every form within a four-month window, so you have to time it just perfectly you have to have written permission through your student management system because um, it has to be like meet specific confidentiality. So we can't just send home like a Google form or ask them to fill out a paper. We have to then put it in our student management system and somehow have a policy or a practice in place that allows for that confidentiality piece. There's all these nuances to it that become so oppressive that our turnout, like our return rate is so low, it's not even funny. So we're finding that we're not able to provide that true tiered system of support through our counselors, our social workers, our teachers, all of these staff that are vital to the success of our students because of this one Frankenstein bill that was put together that talks about all these other things as well, about libraries and books and all these things. How Hmm. is that equitable for our students? How, if we have them 40 hours a week, And we have the capability to provide counseling services, social work services. We have the ability to provide these services in a free, it's free to the parents, it's free to the families, the students. Why wouldn't we then use the tools that help us identify the students in need? We can't. You know, whenever whenever I hear something like that, you know, part of me is asking, like, do they know? Right. Do, do the mm-hmm. people who are p- passing these policies, do they know? And then there's immediately I'm like, well, how, how do they not? Right. If they're doing it the right way, how do they not? And so, right. So it, it makes me question then. Right. Like, so what is what is the goal behind it? If you understand. Yes. Right. The damage that you're doing and yet you're still passing these bills. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you what are you really saying that you're not saying out loud? But what are you really saying? And. You know, I know like here in Illinois, and this was just last June, so it's mm-hmm. about a year and a half now, we we just passed the crown law where like discriminating on hairstyles, right? Like it, it's a year and a half old. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, it's embarrassing to say that. Like, yeah, Illinois has a, a hair 
law, but it's it's a year and a half. Like, but for the longest time, right, it was okay to discriminate essentially against people who had hair that was quote you know unquote not professional, mm-hmm. right? And so it, you have to ask yourself in these spaces: How is it possible that a policymaker, a lawmaker? do not know, do not see the impact that the decisions they're having. And then what are they truly saying? Right. And so I guess that pushes me back to that other question that I had asked earlier. And you touched on it a little bit. If I'm listening to you and I'm like, Tracy, I see this, I hear it. I'm frustrated and I'm aggravated, but what can I possibly do? I mean, Mm -hmm. yes, we could have conversations, but like, have you had any experiences or tales of like resilience where we could say, Hey, look, here's my experience of where somebody pushed back. Right. And they were successful and it benefited the kids. Something that we could maybe light a fire, right. Within somebody who might be listening to this and saying, yes, I want to, but I'm hesitant. I'm reluctant. That's a great question. Um, do we have examples of success? I think that there are localized examples of success, like at state levels where we see um, groups coming together, where we see education groups coming together with like associations for social work counseling. And when you see those start to band together, you do see start to see more incremental movement towards less oppressive systems. Um I think it's hard. I think it's really hard right now because they're all that continues to come to mind are oppressive policies where I think about like book bans and I think about like banned books continue to be more and more like the lists get longer and longer. When I think about laws in place in other states where we can't talk about specific, we can't talk about race, we can't talk about religion, we can't talk about these things because what it really goes down to is the question you asked is like, do they really not know? They really know, but it really comes back to that egocentric viewpoint of my perspective is the right perspective and I have positional power to make my perspective the right perspective for everybody. So what would you say then, right? We, we started, I just want to bring this back to where we started this and bring this full circle. Yes. We're saying, look, we're educators. Mm-hmm. We, for the most part, operate within organizations that declare the power of equity, right? Yes. They they claim to be equitable spaces. They understand, right, what this would mean for the students that they serve. And yet, right, some of those same exact organizations are adopting policies that contradict that. Some of them just simply exist within spaces of the country where legal mandates are coming down and they're trying to navigate, right, those spaces. So what would you say then to an educator? Like, just what could I possibly do, Tracy, if I'm sitting in my classroom, Mm -hmm. like you mentioned, a book that I think is fundamental for my students to read is being banned. I saw something the other day where they were trying to get rid of Arthur. I was like, Arthur? The nerdy artifact with glasses? Like, come on, right? Like, so I'm in my classroom, mm-hmm. right? Like, what can I what can I do? Do you have any words of encouragement for me? Because it seems very defeating. Yes. Right? I, I, and you mentioned, right, I, I remember going down to Oklahoma to do a, a keynote. And one of the things they told me was like, hey, 
we really don't talk about like, you know, race CRT. We don't really talk about SEL. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, you probably shouldn't have brought me in because I'm going to do it anyway. Right. And I know I get to do it because guess what? I get to leave. Right. Like, yeah. but for people who are sitting in that space, who maybe not do not have that flexibility, what would you recommend? What are your thoughts? I think that um, starting again at that small, because I always talk about eating the elephant one bite at a time. Because when we think about, oh my God, how do we change these big systems? How do we change laws? Like, yes, we can go advocate. We can go to um, librarian, like school librarian recognition day at the state capitol. We can do school mental health day at the capitol. We can do those things, which unify us together and give us a powerful voice. But then what do we do in our building in the day to day? Similar. You find those like-minded people, the people that you know will advocate with you. And you, again, have those conversations within your building with your building leader, your building leadership team or guiding coalition and say, hey, this is the policy we have. This is the way our district has interpreted. What can it look like for us? I remember being in an elementary school as a school social worker, and we had some books that were considered like um, racy or risque because they talked about um, sexuality in an age-appropriate way. They were fully age-appropriate books. And they talked about questioning um, your gender identity. And so we said, what do we do? Like, what? how do we make this book accessible for students that want to read it? How do we make it accessible to um, students that it is age-appropriate for um, and one of those books, um, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called what George. Hmm. No, I don't know that one. No. Okay. So it's meant for middle schoolers and it's about a fourth grader who was physically born, um, a boy, but knows that she is a girl. And so we made a decision like as a building that, and I believe it's now called Melissa. I apologize. I believe it was prior Prior to 2021, 2022, it was called George, and now it's called Melissa, if I'm recalling correctly. Yeah, yeah, because in fact, as you were talking, I Googled it. Okay. And it popped up Melissa, and I was like, Melissa, no. And then you said Melissa, so that must be it. Okay. But it was about gender identity. We said, because we were um, a K through sixth grade school, that here is where the intended audience is for. And so. And that we want our students to be able to check these books out. We want it to be a part of our building library. And so we had an informed permission slip saying, and it wasn't just specific to this book, but the our school librarian would fill it out, work with its student to fill it out. And we would make sure that our students felt comfortable checking the book out, talking with people about um, the content of the book so that we didn't have to say, we're really sorry, we don't have these books at all because they're not they're not banned topics. They're really not. They're topics of life. We have to be comfortable having conversations. So we found a policy for our building that would not go against our district policy. And we made it work. And so I think I say all that to say of one, that book is awesome, but two, find that, I don't want to call it a loophole, but find that space where you can live to continue to advocate. Find that leader who's always willing to think outside the box to be able to continue to advocate and push. Because if you can eat that elephant one bite at a time, one permission slip at a time, one yes at a time, then you can continue to ensure that people know that those policies aren't for everyone. And just because you're in a position to make the policy doesn't make it a right policy. 
You know, Tracy, I think what I love about this conversation right now is that your approach to this is vastly different from most of the times, the conversations that we've had on this show. Like, I'm like, I'm accustomed to it. And I, in my mind, I'm like, you know what? Throw that elephant on a spit and we're going to roast this thing. Like, we're, like, And you're just like, let's, let's, let's be smart about it. Like, let's, <laughs> let's go. Which is amazing because you're right. Like, I'm fortunate enough to, to sit in a space, right? Not just in a position, but in, in a place within the country where I can be a radical advocate and push back and yes. be loud and say these things. Yes. Where so many individuals across the country are like Charles, I hear you and I love that and I and I would love to do that, but I'd also you know want to be able to pay my bills and feed my family. Like I can't <laughs> I can't do that, right? And so I, I love this idea that you're saying, hey, there's ways, right? I'm not even going to call them a loophole, even though it might no, be. No loopholes. Like we're 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 going to figure out a way to push back, right? But ever so gently enough to begin making progress and to make sure that our students are benefiting. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I appreciate, you know, this kind of alternative perspective and alternative approach. So thank you for that. I think it's the social worker in me of I know that I I know what I want to say and I know that I do want to blow the system up. But I have always believed just because of the experiences I had in public school growing up, I've always believed that education is the way out. It is your access to the world. And so how could I change education without being inside of it? So I'm quietly trying to blow it up from the inside. So I've always had that mindset of how can I, how can I affect the greatest change? If you blow it up, there's nothing left. There's nothing left Hmm. because more than likely, if you put that elephant on the spit hole, nobody could eat it. The outside would be burnt and the inside still be raw. Like gross analogy, <laughs> but gross, gross. I get it. I get it. But you get what I mean? Like there's nothing for everybody. So how we have to truly stand our ground while pushing to gain more. Mm. You know, I, I know it's a weird thought, but I don't know if you watch Loki at all, but that was like the concept in this last episode. You know, episode. I don't watch TV or movies. I don't even know if it's TV or a movie. <laughs> I was like, hmm, hmm, we could either destroy the whole thing, but nobody gets anything. Mm-hmm. Or, right, we, we can push back and be smart about this so that way it exists, but we transform it instead of destroying it. So, mm-hmm. so Tracy, with all of that being said, I'm sure there are people who are like... Thank you for bringing in this more calm and mindful and <laughs> passive way. And now we want to learn more about you and connect with you and uh, learn more about, you know, the work that you do. So share with the listeners. How, how can they find you? How can they connect with you? So that's, ooh, I love this question. You can find me on Twitter. Um, I am at Mrs. Chauvin SW, so Mrs. Chauvin Social Worker. And you can find me on Twitter there. I am on LinkedIn. Again, it is Tracy Chauvin. You can find me there. Um, those are my two biggest avenues of which I talk with people. You can also email me at Tracy, T-R-A-C-I-E, at TrueResilienceConsulting.com. And that's one of the easiest ways to get a hold of me right then and there. And again, my name is spelled a little bit different. So T-R-A-C-I-E, at TrueResilienceConsulting.com. Awesome, awesome. And I'll make sure that I include that information in the show notes for any of you listening can definitely go back and get that information because I assure you, you will not be disappointed if you do not connect with her. So do definitely connect, definitely connect, mm-hmm. make those uh, that networking happen. Uh, Tracy is a phenomenal individual, great friend, 
but you know, start off with a professional piece and you know, you, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. So Tracy, I just want to say thank you, right? Thank you, not just for being on the show, but thank you for doing this work. Thank you for, you know, taking a different avenue in the world of education, but still aligning that work because I know the things you do are the things that I do. And so it's wonderful to have, you know, colleagues and, 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 you know, advocates in that space. So just thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. That was so nice, Charles. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for your advocacy and the platform that you give others to really tell their story. So thank you. Absolutely. Well, Tracy, I know that we will be connecting soon, so I look forward to that. But until next time, I hope that you have an amazing rest of the school year, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay, talk to you soon. I want to thank you for listening to the Counter Narrative Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please be sure to like, subscribe, and of course, share it with friends and family. I'd also love to hear your thoughts about the show, so please leave a comment or two as well. Now, I'm not sure what platform you're using, but the show can be found on Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and plenty of other platforms. If the show isn't on your preferred site, let me know, and I'll be sure to get it up and running. This podcast is also featured on schoolrubric.com, where you can find educational articles, videos, and interviews with educators from around the globe. Be sure to connect with me and other listeners by following the show on Twitter at the CN Podcast and joining the show's Facebook group. Take care.